You know, growing up in a Christian home, I'm sure if, if any of you did as well, I know a lot of you did, you know all of the well-known Bible stories. You, you've heard of Joshua and the crumbling walls. You've, you've heard of Gideon with just a few hundred men defeating a, a very large army that outnumbered his. You've read about Jonah who was in the belly of a fish. You've heard of Jesus feeding 5,000, or you've heard of Jesus who was in a storm and just said, peace, be still. We grow up with all of these Bible stories, and we know that the Scriptures reveal that our God in heaven is the supreme storyteller. God is the absolute best, most magnificent storyteller that there is, for of course, He is God and our God is telling a story. The story of the world is God's story. It's the story of God saving a people for himself. They're being rescued from their sin. They then receive his spirit. They are saved by the, the work of his son on the cross. And their lives are transformed, and they, they go back to the original plan of being image bearers, and we can then reflect his glory, and we can glorify God by enjoying him forever. And God is telling a story of redemption. And your life is a story. Your life is a story. And God wants to take your life and your story and he wants to merge it, bring it to be one with the story, the ultimate story, the grand story that God is telling with the world. He wants your story to be a part of his story that he is telling. So a question as we begin this morning is, what story is your life telling? Let's begin with the primary thought. This is the main idea that we're going to get our, our hearts and minds around today is that God is calling us to step into the story that he is telling. And so this is what God put in my heart this week. We're, we're putting the series, Who is Jesus, on hold. We'll wrap that up next week. But as I was considering today and praying, I just felt as though we needed to put that series on hold and, and consider as a faith family that God is calling us today to step into the story that he is telling. Now, this is actually harder than it sounds. This is not easy. When your story is in the middle of a very painful scene, it's not so easy to step into God's story. When, when your story is disappointing, when, when your story is not quite turning out the way you thought, or the way you had hoped. And you look at your life and the story that it's telling and you're, you're kind of disappointed by it. And oftentimes what we can do is we, we can turn to an idol and, and give ourselves to it. And what that does is we become then trapped with, with a, a pattern of, of sinful behavior. And then what happens is we, we lose our, our taste for Jesus and we don't want him anymore, and the Bible becomes insipid, and, and going to worship gatherings becomes work, and, and you're, you're just in this funk. 
And when, when that begins to happen and your soul begins to drift away from Jesus, what actually is happening, whether you realize it or not, is you're, what you're really doing is you're trying to tell your own story with your life apart from Jesus and his grand story that he is telling of the world. And you don't want your life to be part of his story. You want your life to turn out the way you want it. But what's happening is you're drifting further away from your God and your purpose. And your story is getting just worse. And it is no longer merged and joined with the story that God wants to tell through your life. And so when I say God is calling us to step into the story that he is telling, what I'm talking about is your purpose. This is another way of phrasing the reason why you exist is to be on mission with God, to know him, to enjoy him forever, is to have your life be wrapped up, immersed in the story that he wants to tell. Now, like all stories, the story that he is telling through your life, as, as your life story unfolds, there are different scenes, there's different acts, there's, there's different parts to your story. So no matter what chapter or no matter what scene, your story is in today. You have to know and believe that the story isn't finished. You hear me? The story of your life, the story that God wants to tell, the story is not finished. God is not yet finished telling the story of your life. And how do I know that? Because you're sitting here alive. Because there's still breath in your lungs. If God was finished telling your story, he would have already called you home. Your body would be in the ground. Your spirit would be with Jesus. You'd be awaiting the day when you would hear the trumpet and your body would be resurrected, joined with your spirit to live forever with him on the new heavens, the new earth. But the fact that your body is not in the ground that's sitting right here in the worship gathering is evidence to me that God's not finished yet with your story. He has more to tell, more of his glory to display. I want to show you this truth and why it matters by looking at a Bible story, obviously. We're going to look in the book of 1 Samuel. Please turn there. In 1 Samuel, if you want to go to chapter 16 so that you're in the right area in the book, you will see that there is a young man there described named David. David was the son of Jesse, born in Bethlehem over a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. Now, David had seven older brothers. We don't know exactly when, but when he was a teenager, probably a young teenager, David was made a shepherd over his father's sheep. Now, if you didn't know David's story very well, David was not the favorite son. His father, Jesse, favored his three oldest sons who were prominent and were in the military under the service of King Saul. And so David was largely ignored by his father and by his older brothers. He was a younger one. And he was doing the least important job. 
he was caring for a few sheep in the wilderness. David was the forgotten one. Now, if you want to read about David's story, you'll find it again in 1 Samuel, beginning chapter 16, covers the rest of the book of 1 Samuel. The entire book of 2 Samuel is David's life, and then all the way through 1 Kings chapter 2. So there's a large portion of Scripture that describes the life of David. We don't have time to get into all the details. We're doing it by way of overview and to see how through his life, God is calling you and me to step into the story that he is telling. So what you see with David being the youngest and least important brother, this sets the stage for us to understand our calling to step into God's story. So here's the first truth about stepping into God. So number one, you must recognize that your current scene is preparation for the next one. So the current scene that your life story is going through is preparation for the next scene that God is going to sovereignly bring about in your life. Now think about David. Being a shepherd in the first century was not respected. It was not glamorous. No one said, oh, 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 I want to grow up and be a shepherd. Or I hope I can marry a shepherd one day. No one said that. That was not an aspired profession with a corner office and with a company vehicle with a great salary and, a great, and great benefits. That was not being a shepherd. It was the opposite. It was not respected. It was, it was very low on the societal respect level. So David, can you just picture him? He's not respected what he does. He's not valued. His brothers are the ones that are prominent. And he could have very easily been out in the wilderness with his sheep. And he could have been sitting there alone and kicked his lyre and just complained and said, man, this stinks. I have to take care of all of these dirty sheep. And my older brothers, man, they get all the respect. And man, dad loves them. Man, I hate my life. I don't like the way my story is turning out. David could have had that attitude. But he didn't because David knew that his current scene was preparation for the next one that God had for him. David was embracing the life that God had given to him. He was secure and he was confident in who he was in God. He knew that God loved him and he knew that God had a plan for him and a purpose for him. And David was not looking down on himself or feeling sorry for the scene that his story was in. I can't just picture David alone with his sheep hanging out in the wilderness. And instead of complaining, he wasn't complaining. Instead, he was meditating on the word of God. Instead of, instead of sitting there complaining, he was writing what we now read in the Psalms. So he was meditating, he was writing, he wasn't complaining, and he was also practicing. Can, can you just picture him with his slingshot, 
saying, okay, I'm going to hit that tree ten times in a row before I can go take a break and get some water. And he gets nine and says, oh, I missed the last one. i, I got to get ten in a row. And I can just see David out there for hours and hours alone with the slingshot, just practicing because he knew that he needed to be good enough to defend his father's sheep. He took his role seriously. And so he was meditating and writing, and he was, he was practicing, he was preparing, and he was very likely, knowing David from what you read, he was probably singing. He played the lyre, which is similar to a harp. Not exactly, but the point of reference. And so he was probably playing his, his lyre and just singing praises to God while watching his sheep. And so he was, he was in this scene in his life of preparation, not being sorry or frustrated, but enjoying God and the life that God had given to him, no matter whether he was respected by others or not. He was secure and confident knowing God's plan for his life. And so when God wanted to open a new chapter and a, a new scene in David's life, he was prepared. He was ready to face it. So the Israelite army had a major standoff with the Philistines, their, their rivals, the enemies, that they hate each other and were killing each other. And so you have this major standoff. And so Father Jesse sends teenager David to the battle. Now, let's not be confused. He didn't send him there to go fight. No, 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 not David. He wasn't entrusted to go do that. He was trusted to go and, and be an errand boy. Here, David, go deliver this food to your brothers. They're important. They're serving God. They're in the military. You're just a little shepherd boy. You take this food to your brothers and then bring back word and how it's going. Bring back a token from them. And so make sure that everything is going well. So he gets sent off as the T-boy. He's just an errand boy. Not to actually go do anything of significance. But David took it seriously. And he put someone else in charge of his sheep. He didn't ignore his post. He had it covered. And then he goes... And when he gets there, he hears that there's this champion, this giant from the town of Gath of the Philistines named Goliath. And he's taunting the armies of the living God. And everyone on Israel's side is just afraid of this, of this Goliath. Can you feel it? David hears this. So all of a sudden, his zeal for the glory of God is just bubbling over. And he's saying, there's no way, there's no way that I'm going to stand to let this uncircumcised evil man taunt the people of God and take my God's name and drag it in the mud. And so he says, I will take him down. He was just so zealous for the glory of God. Can you feel David was about to step into the story? He was stepping into God's story that he had for him. All the preparation. And now David was ready to step into the story that God was going to tell through his life for the glory of God. And so he gets there. And people still don't trust him. They don't believe in him. He was just obeying God, and yet he had to endure this conversation. Let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 17. We'll read verses 28 through 33. Again, 1 Samuel 17, verses 28 through 33, and it'll be on the screen. 
Now Eliab, his eldest brother, so this is his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men. This is David. So older brother Eliab heard David speaking to other men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? There he is mocking David. What are you doing here? And why are you with your sheep? He says, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. Evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. So man, all these naysayers, verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. Saul's a king. And he sends for him. And David said to Saul, he's talking to the king this teenager who takes care of sheep is now, he just got a meeting with the king. And David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able. You were not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him for your buddy youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. Sometimes you just got to shake off the haters. And what you see here is all the naysayers saying, David, you have bad intentions, which was not true. Saying, David, you can't do that. Your vision is too big. There's no way God can't use you like that. Just go back to your small post because you'll never do anything significant for God. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You don't have what it takes. And so just forget it. You're a wash-up. You don't have the skills. You're not experienced. Just go back. Ever feel that way? They're lies. Don't you limit God. Don't you dare put limits on the God who is limitless. Don't you dare put God in a box and limit what he can do through you if you are passionate for his glory the way David was. A man that had prepared. God is not going to measure your ability. And so it's not like that. The measurement is not your ability. The measurement is the ability of the one whom you are trusting. The one who defeated sin and death and Satan with his death and resurrection. We're trusting in Jesus. And it's his ability, not ours. And so what you see here, what you see here is amazing. Verse 34, I, I I can't wait to meet David one day. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. You hear that? He went after the lion. Man, David rocks. I went after him and struck him. Striking lions, man. Struck him. And delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. 
David's amazing. Let's read the next verse. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will, not might, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Amazing. You know the story. He goes, he takes his slingshot. Then he'd been practicing on for hours and hours and hours and hours and all the preparation. And then he was ready to step into the story that God was going to tell through him. And he, and he, he lets the, the stone fly, strikes the giant right on the head. He knocks him over. He takes the sword of Goliath and he cuts off the head of the enemy in victory. And that day the people of God had victory over the Philistines. What scene is your story in the middle of today? Are you disappointed or frustrated or afraid? Instead of focusing on how your story is not turning out the way you thought or wanted, recognize this truth. That your current scene is preparation for the next one. David was prepared. If David would have gotten his remote control and fast forward and fast forward through that scene and hadn't prepared, he would not have been ready to face Goliath. You can't skip the scene, even if the scene is hard. Even the scene is uncomfortable or painful or scary. You can't fast forward. You can't wish to skip it. You have to embrace it and stay in that scene and see it as God's preparation for you, for what he has for you tomorrow to do big things for our God in heaven who loves you and wants to use you to reach this city. We can't fast forward. We can't skip a scene. We have to embrace it. Man, we had time, and we don't. But I could tell you so many stories, some recent, some not recent, but of times in my life that were just so painful and so hard and incredibly disappointing and defeating. But if I had fast-forwarded or wanted to or tried to, or if, if I had wished to have skipped those, I would not have been prepared for what God had for me next. And so God is telling a glorious story. It's a story of mercy, and it's a story that he's telling through your life. Will you step into God's story? Take a minute and just think. Remember, how did you come to Abu Dhabi? How did you hear about Abu Dhabi? I mean, I hadn't even heard of it until my brother came out here to take a teacher position. I was like, where? Abu what? Do you eat that? Is it a dish? Like, what? Where? Is it in India? I had no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately confessing some foolishness, but I'm being honest with you. I didn't know where it was or where it was. You got here somehow. 
There were connections, weren't there, that somehow God brought you out here. Think back to how you met your spouse, how those connections happened, how you found your job, how you understood God's calling on your life. Any, pick any number of different areas or realities in your life, and, and if you stop and just think for a moment or write it down, you'll see all of the connections that God used to get you where you are, and he has been at work the whole time. Sovereignly working through your heart circumstances to bring you where you need to be to be used for him. So you can see how God wants to work through you. We read earlier from Acts 17 in the worship gathering and how God is in heaven and he decides where people dwell. And so even down to the details of where you live and what you do, God in heaven is orchestrating all of those circumstances. Why? So that the message proclaimed, like in Acts 17, that people would repent and trust in Jesus. Your current scene is preparation for the next one. Embrace this. This is the first step to stepping into God's story. Number two, the second truth about stepping into God's story is recognize that your current scene is not the whole story. So recognize that your current scene is not the whole story. The story isn't finished. See, David had no idea what kind of story God was going to tell through his life. He was a kid living in a small village of Bethlehem, taking care of sheep. Older brothers got all the glory. He had no idea what God was going to do through him. With the liar and a slingshot, God had amazing plans for him. But you can't look at one scene and say, this is the whole story. It's not true. I don't know what vision David had for his own life whenever he was a teenager. I don't know. Maybe he thought, well, I'm going to just live here in Bethlehem, and I'll just, I'll just get my own house, and maybe I'll, I'll meet a girl and get married, have some kids, and, and I'll keep watching my father's sheep. And be a shepherd. This is, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Maybe he thought that. I don't know what his vision was for his life, but I can tell you that what David thought for his life, what he had planned, was nothing compared to what God had planned and God's vision for his life. So much greater and just so different. He could have never dreamed this up. So what happens? He's watching his sheep one day, Minding his own business, and the prophet, the leader of Israel, goes to Jesse's home, right there in little Bethlehem. And Jesse knows, so now because Sam has told him, that one of his children will be anointed the next king of Israel to take the place of Saul, who was disobedient, and God said that he would not continue as king, he would anoint a new one. And it would be a son of Jesse. And so Jesse's so excited, and he brings his, his children before Samuel. Let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 16, verses 10 through 13. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. It's like, really? No? Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Is this all of them? 
And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's one more, number eight, but he, he doesn't matter. He's just in the back with the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Take that, old brothers. God had a plan for David, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And so as a teenager, David knew that his story would include one day being the king of Israel, that God chose him, not because he was impressive, but God chose him, loved him, anointed him, and said, this is my story that I'm going to tell through you, David. This is a very important scene in David's story. We don't know how old he was, maybe 13 to 15 years of age likely when this happened. Now, a few years later, he would kill Goliath, which we read about here just a second ago. Now, when he did that, he was already anointed to be the future king. And he goes and he defeats Israel. Man, his reputation just exploded off the charts. He was going to be on every late night talk show. He got his own YouTube channel. Every time that he would put a post on Facebook, he would have a, a million likes and comments. I mean, everyone loved David. Everyone wanted to know David and be David. They had David action figures. I mean, David was the man. Now, yeah, that's a little exaggeration. It's not in the Bible. But here's what the Bible does say about David, that people were singing songs about him in the street. The Bible does say that. He was so famous and so well-known and so loved, the champion, the warrior, God's man, the anointed one, that people sung to him and about him. They wrote songs about him. And King Saul became very envious. He couldn't handle it. But David was loyal to King Saul. And Saul made him a leader in the military. And David had many victories. Read about it. Read it in the Bible. I mean, you do read the Bible, right? You do read it. So this is in what we're talking about. 1 Samuel 16 through the end of the book, 2 Samuel, all this is in there. You, you can read it on your own. I encourage you to. Powerful. He had many victories for Saul as a, as, as a commander, but Saul was still overcome by envy, and so he wanted to kill David. We don't know exactly when, but David was probably early to mid-teens, I mean 20s, so anywhere from age 23 to 25, somewhere in there. And so we know that he became the king when he was 30. So what this means is that anywhere from five to seven years, David was on the run. This wasn't one or two days. This was for several years that David had to flee and run for his life so that Saul would not kill him. The man who was loyal, who loved God, who was serving the people, doing things for God, wanted, the king wanted to kill him. And so David had to run away. And you know where he had to go? 
to the land of the Philistines. He had to go to Gath. You know where, where Gath was? That's Goliath's hometown. Imagine David rolling in with his men to Gath. This is a town where Goliath was, was, was the local kid, the local hero. And now David rolls in, and he has to hide out there, living with the enemy. This was not where David wanted to be. This was not the scene he had envisioned when he was a teenager years earlier, and he was anointed as a future king. And then they kick him out. They didn't even want David. So he has to leave Gath, and he has to live off the land. He has to hide in a cave. Hiding in a cave. This is David, man. This is, this is a celebrity warrior hiding in a cave. And then he ends up back in Gath again later. And he actually serves the Philistines. David had no idea what was going to happen. But several Psalms record what was happening when he was at Gath and in the cave and so he wrote this down in his scripture. But I want to read to you just excerpts from Psalm 142. Psalm 142 is when he was hiding in the cave at one point. And it says, with my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. Anguish and crying out to God, and he's, he needs help from those that are persecuting him, those that want to kill him, hiding in a cave. If you would have looked at any one of these individual scenes, and, and if you would have seen David hiding out with the Philistines or seen David in the cave, you would have thought, oh, David's life is terrible. That's a horrible picture. That's a terrible scene. Yeah, it is. It's dark. But the story isn't finished. This is so important. A scene is not the whole story. So after King Saul died and David was now 30 years old, he became the king of Israel. And he had great success. You would think, man, that's the scene that we want to stay on. That should be the end of the story. And became king and was successful. No, not the end of the story there either. There isn't the end of the story. David's success made him lazy and comfortable. What did he do? He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Failure. Talk about failure. But even then, in the middle of David's pain and failure, the story wasn't finished. God still had more story to tell through the life of David, and David still had more of God's story to step into. More. I want to read to you a very important text. Second Samuel. So next book over. Second Samuel chapter seven. Second Samuel seven. Just a couple of verses. The chapter is amazing, but we just two verses. Second Samuel seven. This is where God is speaking to David and gives him promises. So God says to him, "When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you." who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
Listen, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Amen. A descendant of David would be king over the people of God forever. An everlasting rule would come from David. Who is this pointing to? It's pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the promised descendant who would come, defeat the enemies, and would give God's people rest and shalom, peace for eternity. And so David's life, what is the end of the story? He points it to Jesus. This is what David's life is about, pointing to the Messiah. Jesus is our ultimate champion whose kingdom will never end on the cross. He defeated sin and death and offers us forgiveness if we will trust him. And we today in this room are part of the story. We're part of this story. So I'll ask you again, what scene is your life in the middle of today? What scene is it? Your current scene does not define the story. Your current scene does not define the story. And so if you look at Jesus on Friday afternoon, hanging on the cross, dying, saying, I I give you my spirit, and saying, it is finished. If you had seen Jesus on Friday afternoon dying, and you look at that scene, that scene is not the story. The story is completed on Sunday morning with the resurrection. There's a story. The death points to the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus resurrected, alive, and victorious, our King, our hope, our Savior, our love, our joy, our purpose, our everything. Your current scene does not define your story. Your story is not finished. He's telling a story through you for his glory. You know, when David killed Goliath and he used that sword to chop off the head of the giant, David gave that sword to a priest. Well, years later, whenever he was on the run from Saul, he goes back to that priest who was a friend of David's. And he says, I need a weapon. I need, I need something to fight with, a spear, a sword. Give me something because I'm in big trouble and I'm being chased by the king and his army. And the priest says, I got nothing. I don't have any weapons here, but I have one, the one you gave me years ago, Goliath's sword. It's still here. And so he gives David Goliath's sword. This is important. And understand this in preparation that your future victory over the enemy is dependent upon your faithfulness today in your current scene. And so if you want to be victorious tomorrow and what God has for you tomorrow, prepare today. Be faithful today. David's faithfulness in killing Goliath gave him the weapon that he needed to be victorious years later. And so hear me. Whatever you're going through, it is preparation for what is next. And your current scene does not define the story. God is not finished yet telling the story of your life And it's the same for New Life Church. 
God is not finished telling the story of this amazing, beautiful faith family. Every experience that we have had so far as a church has been preparation for what God has next. And the unfolding story of New Life Church is about to enter into a new scene. The Spirit of God has made it very clear to both Bonnie and myself that he's leading us back to the United States. And so he's opened the door for us to go plant a new church in Texas. And so my family is going to pack up and we're going to move in June. This has been an incredibly difficult decision. Not one that we made quickly. We spent significant time praying, seeking counsel. Months of saying, God, what do you have for us? This stirring, and again, we'll talk more in the future, but for this morning, what's important for you to know is that God has just revealed himself and made it clear to both my wife and I that he is calling us back to the U.S. And I have loved and it has been a privilege to serve this faith family. But what you have to know and believe is that the story isn't finished. The story of New Life Church is not finished. God still has more story to tell through this body of believers. This is not the end. This is simply a new scene in God's unfolding story for this remarkable church. Let me give you the last truth here as we wrap up. As God is calling us to step into his story, the third truth is that we must keep telling the story. Keep telling your story. The story of your life is meant to be a reflection of God's ultimate story, a reflection of God's glory, his story of mercy and grace and immeasurable worth. And so we keep looking to Jesus. And then the story of our lives will continue to reflect his glory and will continue to step into God's story and will keep telling the story of God's amazing wondrous, marvelous grace, and we'll see more lives transformed. So keep telling it. Keep following Jesus together. God is calling us to step into the story that he is telling. And the story for your life and the story for this church is not finished. God still has more to tell. The question is, will you contribute to or will you run in fear and because of uncertainty or change? If you belong to this church, especially if you're a covenant member, I don't know how to say this, and it may, it may, I don't want it to come out wrong, but this is really in my heart. If you're a member of this church, don't you dare give up. Don't you give up. You step up. This church needs more leadership. And with my departure, she will need even more. 
And God has a story to tell through your life. Don't give up. I have faith that God still has incredible plans for this church. This has been a life-changing five years for me and my family. It has been such a privilege. We're just following God's leading in our life, and you must do the same in yours. But if you're a part of this church, it has always been bigger than any one person, and so we will continue to press forward. And we will. And by God's glory, he will provide the leadership that this church needs. But a lot of that is sitting in the room right now. The story isn't finished. So God's telling the story. The question is, will your story be a part of it? Father, we praise you today. We know that we are unworthy. And left to ourselves, you have no hope. And you have loved us, redeemed us, and given us eternal purpose. And we want to step into your story that you are telling. So we pray that you would calm any hearts right now in this room that are troubled or or fearful. Father, may your spirit be so heavy and present here in this moment. May we know that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives and for this church. And that you will not abandon us. You have proven to be faithful, so we pray that you will do it again with full confidence that you will. So we just put our lives and our church in your hands in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.